Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. This is your final installment of the 2019 Rooster Road, Road Trip. Easy for me to say, Andrew. Rooster Road Trip, late season long tails edition. And as I look outside the window in Minnesota, it looks like what we thought it would all across the Great Plains when we planned this originally. We're covered in snow with a high of one today. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's making me miss the, the comparatively balmy temperatures of Kansas and Nebraska. And, and you are right. When we first came up with the late season long tails idea, I think we had visions of tight holding roosters covered in snow, you know, dancing through our heads. But I'm okay that wasn't the case. <laughs> uh, now, now that we're, we're living uh, back in the, in the frozen tundra, I think avoiding the snow and any, any major storms, even if it was only by a week, uh, was, was pretty good for us. Well, and uh, a special thank you to Browning for outfitting us with long johns because <laughs> we were anticipating super cold weather and we absolutely lucked out with the weather because the winter storm rolled across the Great Plains a Tuesday and Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And we headed down to Kansas the Friday after Thanksgiving. So we got our fill of turkey and dressing, and then we set up out to walk it off. And walk it off we did, and uh, we, we encountered just glorious weather, really, throughout the duration of the trip, 40s, 50s. We even got close to touching 60 degrees uh, parts of the trip, and the snow that was there started to melt. Yeah, I was in a, a t-shirt by the end of one of our days, and other than uh, some pretty strong wind events, there was really nothing to complain about, and I don't know if you're really allowed to complain about the wind in any of the Great Plains states, because it never stops blowing, um, so yeah, we, we, we lucked out, and I'm already missing being there. And uh, joining us for this final recap podcast uh, of the 2019 Rooster Road Trip, Logan, uh, Logan Hinners joins us again. He was on day two, I believe, talking about um, how to f um, shoot photos and a shotgun at the same time. I'll go with that. It all kind of blurs it together. It does blur together. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we were talking about photography and, and hunting. So. And um, for the more evolved camera, the video style, uh, Jake Schiller makes his inaugural on the wing podcast debut although he is in one way shape or form been a part of every single podcast since since the uh actually ordering the the equipment on which we record welcome jake oh yeah back to reality thanks bob <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he misses life on the road yeah i guess so <laughs> a lot of people say back to reality when they come back from a trip and it's it's a bad thing, but it's it's a good thing in my case. It feels <laughs> feels good to be slowed down a little bit. Well, good. We're gonna um, we're gonna talk a little bit with you about um, the terrific videos that you put together as a um, as compilations of each hunt at the end of every day and how you go about that process. But but first, we want to remind folks, um, you know, basic goal of Rooster Road Trip and and talk about. Pheasants Forever kind of views ourselves, uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, as public land creators. 
Um, every American is proud to be a public land owner and as bird hunters and hunters and anglers in general, um, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers has done a wonderful job of promoting that public landowner concept and, and all of us should take pride in the, the acres that are really unique to, to the United States and all of us are rich men and women as a result of those acres. And we're proud on top of that as members of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever that we every single day work to add more acres to that public land ownership um, vault that is the United States. And uh, since 1982, uh, our members of Pheasants Forever have contributed um, almost 1,600 different projects that are land acquisitions accounting for more than 200,000 acres of additional public lands uh, for all Americans, whether you bird hunt, deer hunt, um, nature watch, go for a, a hike, bird watch, whatever the case may be, um, there's, there's more than 314 square miles of public lands created as a result of Pheasants Forever members. And if you can visualize the perimeter of each of those square miles, that's 1,257 miles, and that would take you from the Canadian-North Dakota border in a straight line all the way uh, to Grandview, Texas, just south of Dallas. That's a heck of a lot of public lands added $35 a time for every member of Pheasants Forever um, contributing to that cause. Uh, we've done that through land acquisition. If you think about the Legacy Amendment in Minnesota, that's really helped accelerate land acquisitions to protect the prairie uh, in the state of Minnesota. But it goes beyond that. There's build a wildlife area campaigns in South Dakota, Iowa, uh, Illinois, Kansas. One of the properties we hunted was a build a wildlife area um, acquisition, the Kansas Veterans WMA in Western Kansas. Just one of the most breathtaking, beautiful pieces of public lands for bird hunters that exists on the map. And maybe the most beautiful um, piece of property you could pick you could take your pick of three in Montana that exist as a result of pheasants forever coffee Creek Wolf Creek and the Teton River all three of those are land acquisitions that exist as a result of, of, of membership um, into pheasants forever and quail forever and then you go beyond that to uh, our walk-in programs now pheasants forever isn't responsible for walk-in programs alone but the work we do to lobby for the conservation reserve program and and other programs that walk in um, state walk-in programs are built on top of crp if you think about all those acres nebraska open fields and waters acres three hundred twenty-five thousand of them that we hunted well, we didn't hunt all 325,000, but we hunted a number of them Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday in Nebraska. Colorado's walk-in access program we administer, that's another 35,000 acres. The Pennsylvania hunter access program, 1,200 acres. Minnesota's walk-in um, access program, we do restoration pro projects on those. Um, that community habitat pheasant restoration coalitions that are in South Dakota that have been part of other rooster road trips. 
the one in Aberdeen is 5,000 acres in the Aberdeen area in Brown County. And there's new ones in Mitchell, South Dakota, and Brule and Lyman counties. It, walk-in programs at Pheasants Forever Touches adds another 358,000 acres to those 200,000 permanent land acquisitions. So when you think about Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we've added uh, over 560,000 additional acres of public lands and quality habitat out there on the landscape for bird hunters. And, and whether it's a land acquisition or a lobbying effort or a partnership with a state agency or a, a planned gift from a, from a development prospect or an easement in partnership with a foundation, um, all of those acres, all of that public access was the goal of Rooster Road Trip, to connect the dots between that $35 that our members are giving as a tax-deductible donation, um, getting the magazine, but then contributing to a cause, contributing to quality habitat and uh, public access and since 1982. Our organization has made 90 cents on the dollar of those contributions go directly into the ground for better habitat. More, more kids, more people, more women, more men, more adults in the fields. And um, um, it's, it's good for the birds. It's good for the bees. It's good for the butterflies. And it's good for me and you. So... Um, we hope that you watched and followed along with the Rooster Road Trip and connected the dots in all the videos and the blogs, but ultimately that was our goal. Um, so what did I miss, fellas, as I, as I talk about um, our public lands efforts and our goals? Well, uh, not, not so much to get back to, to our goals quite yet, but uh, one thing that we should also bring up is it kind of relates to our our hunt through Kansas and, and Nebraska is, although we don't administer Kansas's WEHA program. Um, I mean, f historically we, we've, we've been partnering with the KDWPT for a really long time uh, via our habitat specialist programs to enhance wildlife uh, management areas. Yep. Uh, but more recently that now includes improving habitat on WEHA properties. Um, so yes, not only are we helping put more acres on the ground, but we're also improving those acres because it, it creates, because you need quality, healthy habitat to create abundant wildlife. You yeah. can't just put acres on the ground and expect wildlife to, to magically appear if you leave it untouched. Um, so, so that is, that's another way um, that we're kind of tied in with, with uh, you know, these, these public lands. Uh, when it comes to our goals overall for, for the trip, you know, yeah, the big one is, you know, the, the, these lands are your lands, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to say this. Well, for us, this adventure can also be your adventure. Um, we're really looking to just inspire people to get out there. Even if it is just one more day before the season closes. Um, even if it's, you know, just a couple more hours at the end of the day to go chase a bird and, and, and you know, the fading light. Just just get out there and, and, and try to do this as much as possible because, you never come home regretting spending your time outdoors, you know, with friends and, and a good bird dog. So if we were able to, to inspire anybody to, to put another hunt on their calendar or, or perhaps even join us as, as members of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, uh, then I'd consider this a success. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's a great point. And adding, speaking of adding an extra day, if you want to make the trip just like we did, Kansas and Nebraska are open till the end of January. So particularly if you're thinking about uh, pheasant seasons in some of the northern states that close at the end of the year. At, when we left, there wasn't much snow on the ground. There actually wasn't. Logan and I remarked we didn't see snow in Iowa, uh, let alone Kansas and Nebraska. Really, I mean, right. there were patches, but nothing in Iowa. I don't think we encountered snow until we got to the southern Minnesota border. Close to the border, for sure. Yeah. So, I, I specifically remember Andrew saying as soon as we crossed uh, right into Minnesota past Diamond Joe's Casino, look at that. Just crossing the Minnesota and there's snow on the ground. Like, <laughs> it was a, it was know. a pretty hard line. It, it was it was pretty funny to say, oh okay, we're home. <laughs> yeah. So if you live in, uh, you know, I could speak to the Great Lakes states. You know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, where there's a lot of snow. Um, the Great Plains states uh, have relatively snow fee snow free pheasant hunting and quail hunting habitat. And it's important to note uh, quail hunting habitat because if you have not chased bobwhites, you are missing out. Because there is, it's hard to, it's hard to compare a pheasant flush, a rough grouse flush, and a covey of quail. Which one is the best? But it might be a covey of quail. Like when when a covey of quail flushes, <laughs> right, and like fifteen birds go in different directions, and all you hear is a swarm of bumblebees. Gosh, that's fun. Oh, it just leaves you thinking, what just happened? Yeah. It's, it's just complete chaos, uh, and, and it's awesome. And when it, when it comes to like the rough grouse flush, it's half the time you're hearing them, not seeing them. So I'm going to remove that one from, the, <laughs> from, from the table. Um, what about know. a woodcock? <laughs> those are pretty fun yeah the, the, those those give you a, a more sporting chance until they hit the top and then you now hit the afterburners on the rocket packs and disappear on you um roosters are probably my favorite just in terms of the work it takes to actually pin them down um it, it creates kind of a, a buildup of excitement uh where you kind of have this anticipation versus quail it's just you know an, an eruption at your feet and there, there's no getting ready for it it's just you know try to pick one out i dare you to <laughs> i love and this doesn't happen with every rooster flush flush i would say maybe a quarter of the roosters that flush cackle at you that my percentage um but when they do damn i love that when they're they're just pissed off and like you son of a gun you got me in the air <laughs> you know i love that <laughs> What did you think of that cackle, Jake? It wasn't bad. No. <laughs> You're getting uh, better. You're yeah, getting better. I'm, I'm not great at sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So one of the, the ways we are trying to demonstrate those goals, the enthusiasm, I think the fun came through was through the videos. Um, Jake, you're, you're responsible from... You know, you're in the field with us at O'Dark 30. You didn't get to carry a shotgun the entire entirety of the trip. You're huffing it along. If somebody um, has a point, right, they raise their hat in the air and you're racing. Um, give us a sense of, you know, the process you go through to build a story in your head as the day progresses. Um, I guess on Rooster Road Trip, there is uh... – 
the story um, comes to life as the day goes on. We never really know what we're going to get into on these public lands. Um, we have an idea for the habitat and what we're chasing, but uh, there's a lot of days where birds are few and far in between, just like it happens on anyone's public land hunt. You know, sometimes you get into them, sometimes you don't. And um, that's always like probably the most stressful part on my behalf is uh, how do you make, you know, everyone thinks it's, I want to see birds flush, I want to see birds flush, I want to see birds flush, but there's so much more that goes on with us as a group and the people that we hunt with, and that's what I started to try to focus on is what's happening behind the scenes, just not walking through the field, birds getting up in the air, what's mm-hmm. what's the conversation at the truck, what is the jokes being made about who missed, who shot, who didn't, you know, I just, that's what makes it fun to watch. And, um, of course, you can have days like the last day where we got into them big time and the roosters were holding tight and the points were left and right and forward. And that was, uh, you know, that's those types of days that I dream about because it made my job easy and it was exciting. And if I had a shotgun in my hand, I would have limited out. (laughs) (laughs) I I shot them all on camera. So I feel like I almost feel like I get to see like I – I'm watching the camera through like the the viewfinder, but I'm also like looking over the top of the camera trying to see the bird before it actually gets yeah. to the eyesight of anybody else. So hearing and seeing, I just feel like I'm always on pins and needles versus having a dog in the field. You can lose track of what you're doing, watching your dog, commanding your dog, figuring out where they're at, and a bird might just get up and blow like blow out of nowhere. But for me, I just feel like I'm always waiting for that to happen because. I'm carrying a handheld DSLR like that's I'm seeing, pointing, zooming, shooting, focusing if possible and getting on them in a hurry. So do you. Uh, so one of the podcasts, we talked extensively with Logan about being able to do both shoot still photography and a shot and a shotgun together. Is there a, is that in your future? Is there a, is there a kind of a. Oh, I don't know, a, a prosthetic arm that would allow you to shoot video of the quality that you want and also carry an over-under? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. No? No. I just I don't see it happening. you got to be quick. And I, yeah. you know. well, I feel like my reflexes have gotten so on point with that camera in my hand. I started off with, you know, my very first Rooster Road trip was in Montana about two weeks after I started with Fens Forever, Quail Forever, and... We, I got out there and had a shoulder rig for my camera, like for a DSLR camera. I was up, like, if I, if I had to zoom in, I could be more steady. Um, that wasn't the setup that I need. I knew I need something different, like, in order to stay steady and get on what I need to. Got great footage, but over the last three years, I'm just learning more and more what works for me because I've seen other people film upland hunts and they have recorders that are running without them actually on record and they have giant battery packs and big zoom cameras and i just kind of took a different take on how to film upland hunting because i came from never even walking behind a bird dog my whole life that i kind of just learning how to capture those moments quick and so that that's where i wanted to go tell folks what you did before pheasants forever because you were in this industry but it wasn't upland bird right right so i Worked for a bow hunting show, uh, Train Assassins. They're based out of uh, Louisiana and Mississippi down south. But I, when I filmed with them, I was in a tree stand. I had a camera arm that was fixated to the tree. 
Um, and I moved that around accordingly. I never was handhelding pretty much anything until we would go um, retrieve our harvest, deer, stuff mm-hmm. like that, camp life. But other than that, everything was on tripods or in a tree. So I had never walked and filmed really at all, let alone beyond a bird dog. And then starting off, everybody hunted with flushers too. So that was entirely different. Is like I, you're always recording because you don't know exactly. They can kind of read when dogs are getting birdie, right. but I didn't even know what that was when I started. So I, I'm learning how to see when dogs are getting birdie. I'm learning how to see when it could happen or would happen because otherwise I'm filming 500 gigabytes of footage and it's like way too much to manage to go through to organize to. There's just not room for that type of um, quantity or qu- quantity of footage. So. Um, you just learn how to read the situation, and like you were saying earlier, dog on point, I'm running across the field. It, I'm not, I don't have a big zoom lens, so I'm actually running through the grass like a gazelle, just trying to get over there and get the retrieve. I mean, that's important. About I want to get the dog coming back with the bird, and I want to get them putting it in the hand of their owner. Like, that's important because that's a special moment for any bird dog owner. Yeah. I'm not even a bird dog owner, but I can see that. Yet. Hap- yet, exactly. <laughs> this is true. But you can you can see those things. You can see that that's, like, an emotional part of the hunt. Is like, for example, Logan, he bird to hand, and he goes, that was, like, looks at me, like, with a giant smile on his face, that was the hundredth bird that I've shot with Aspen and myself and he's brought to me so like that moment alone was epic to see and i think it's special for anyone that has a bird dog yeah. so yeah, logan and i talked about that on the ride home too um actually right as we got into the truck um uh, tell us about that particular um bird when yeah. did it happen uh so it was actually the last ended up being the last um morning walk of the rooster road trip which was was a super cool way to end the trip for me and um it, it happened there I, I probably put a little too much pressure on myself just having that number in the back of my head but i appreciate jake's editing ability and making it look like andrew missed that bird and <laughs> saying that was ugly but i definitely whiffed too so uh, i should have had that that a little sooner than i did but um thankfully we were walking some you know great great habitat that produced a lot of birds and some more opportunity and um you know was able to kind of hit that benchmark mm-hmm. so pretty special yeah it was how old is aspen he's seven so six full seasons of hunting how so a hundred birds over aspen that you personally have shot yep. not just your dad and brother in addition right yeah so i've just been counting like birds that he's flushed that i've shot retrieved is there one that stands out most memorable out of that hundred? Oh man there's a lot of memories there um it's got to be either the first one or the last one, I would think. <laughs> I'll never forget the first one, that's for sure. Um, yeah, my dad had a pretty bad health scare, and um, I just had gotten Aspen, and it was actually our first time back in the field together um, on a piece that some of our other dogs have, you know, we found birds and, uh, you know, had good luck at. So we hunted that together. It's kind of one of our favorite spots, and, um, you know, he, he was able to flush his first rooster, and make a shot and retrieve it and to share that with my dad was pretty cool yeah well i was it was pretty special for all of us to share number 100 with you because we could see (laughs) on your face how much that meant and as most of us being dog owners and jake soon to be a dog owner we know uh they become part of your family pretty darn quick big time 
Um, just before we get into more of the recap of that final hunt, a uh, couple more questions for Jake. I, I want to know, I understand how, uh, you know, if, if something happens and you're not near it, you're not going to get it, right? I mean, it does, if it doesn't happen on camera, it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> right, right. But I, what I don't quite understand is how you capture everything if you're in the vicinity. Like, those birds are flushing fast. Like, it, every time something happened, bang, bang, you know, I'd look behind, you get that? And you nodded and you gave me a wink like, yeah, I got that. Like, every single time you got it. And how, I mean, is that lens super wide or how do you capture everything? everything if when it's going so fast and sometimes it's a pretty big surprise yeah i guess uh thank you for that by the way but i feel uh like i said it's like i'm, I'm gaining these super abilities just pretty, <laughs> okay. super it just went straight to his head that <laughs> no quick, no <laughs> yeah but at least at least he said i'm, I'm gaining these super, I'm gaining super, these super abilities, abilities because one, one thing i would like to point out is you know, if you go back uh, on our, our YouTube page, you know, fe- um, youtube.com backslash pheasants forever, you can find all, all of our videos because we're putting them up there as well as releasing them on Facebook. Now, a majority of our views is on Facebook, but we do have this big catalog on, on YouTube. And 2017 was Montana. So you, you can see that's where Jake first started. And those videos are about 60 seconds, 90 seconds mm-hmm. in length. Um, and and it's really good footage. It's good stuff. And then, you know, you go to last year and that's South Dakota. And because we couldn't hunt until noon, he had more time to really like right. evolve Craft with the them. story. So those are, are about five minutes in length. And you can, you can see the, the shots and the craftsmanship continue to improve. Mm-hmm. And then you had this past year, which was almost like a, like a hybrid in terms of the length because we were going from, you know, sun up to sundown. Um, but he did such a phenomenal job of capturing the, the behind the scenes mm-hmm. stories that, that adds to the character of it. Because when you ask someone, Oh, wh- why do you pheasant hunter? Or, well, what's your favorite part about being out in the field? Very rarely is someone just like, Oh, I love the smash birds. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's no, I like being outside with my friends and family and just, just getting away from it all and, and walking behind my bird dog. And so, so Jake has to balance you know, that, that altruistic kind of, kind of motivations with what people do want to see. They mm-hmm. do want to see a, a couple of birds fall for sure. Yeah. Um, just so, uh, these, these superpowers that he's gained over the past three years and developed, uh, it's, it's, it's been pretty fun to watch that come along. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was remarkable. If you were in the vicinity, you caught it on tape. Yeah. Yeah. I will. And that's just it is too. Like I was, when I started, I was focused on just getting the flush the bird in the air and the bird getting hit and on the ground and mm-hmm. then maybe get some of the retrieve. Now, I just know how it goes. I've seen it. I've, I've just seen it so many times. So when I'm walking through the field, I have a 24 to 105 lens. Like it does, it doesn't zoom in super, super far. And then you can come pretty wide with it too. So I don't deal with like a giant range of motion, but enough to like be realistic, like what the human eye would see. <laughs> so when something happens, a bird flushes, I also film 120 frames a second, so I have the when I when I spin, I could slow down even a little bit that I get of that bird flying through the air, but you're seeing the person, you know, it's like as if I'm turning my head in the field to 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 watch it for myself, and that's where, like this year's video turned out cool because it seemed like realistic, like everything mm-hmm. seemed like it was happening, like you were in the field and right. watching it happen and go down, and then to switch, as soon as that bird's hit, not just run straight up, but 
look back like when Logan and Andrew whiffed on that first rooster that got up. <laughs> it on, was on Friday. It was it was amazing right in front of me yeah. and he I just immediately spun over to Andrew, and he's head back in the air taking this big sigh. And I was just like, come on, say it, say it. And he just he goes, I can't even say I can't even make an excuse. Like, it's just. All right, so we're going to do kind of a lightning round for you um, about each day in each video because you took a ton of time capturing video and then organizing it into a story. And I want you to tell me, like, what, still jumps out to you for each video. So the day one, morning in the Cimarron, walking for quail in a really unique landscape, following Chad Love around, who was the weight of the world was on his shoulders trying to put us on birds, followed by an afternoon walk in grassy pheasant field where things really evolved quickly and a lot of action. What stood out to you on day one from a video perspective? Um, those hens getting up right away because I mean, well, that was the first birds we saw. So in the Cimarron, in yeah, the we Cimarron. did see uh, with with Andrew's young Baxter. I think there was four or five hens, right? Which was the last thing I was expecting to, to find in the middle of the Cimarron, just four hens camped yeah. out. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. It was it was different, but it was that was the first birds we'd seen, and I didn't know um, where to expect to see birds out in that in that habitat. I've never mm-hmm. hunted it before, so not knowing where birds were going to be. And it's just like, it's like when, it, for me, as a big game hunter, that first deer I see this season, I don't know what it's going to look like because I can't compare it to anything around me. Like, is it going to look big, small? Like, you don't you don't know what to expect. It was like that. So it's always super memorable seeing, like, the first birds are always, cool. like, that was a cool part for that. Video. And good sign that there were lots of yeah. hens to breed, right? Exactly. Uh, day two, we walked a veterans wildlife area in Kansas. And, um, um, some, <laughs> that was the day, probably the day we struggled the most. We, we hunted some wea in the golden hour. It was a beautiful setting, but we didn't, uh, quote unquote, smash a lot that day. Um, I would say that that property, I've never walked a property like that before. The veterans memorial, yeah. because that was, I mean, it was just gorgeous. It was, it's manicured, it was manicured perfectly for birds. It's just, they were there. They, they were, were getting there. up wild and it was, it they were a long ways off. And that was one of the situations for me where as a videographer, I wish I had a longer zoom lens. You know, I'm trying to capture what I do capture, but mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do in a situation like that. You just pray for the best that hopefully some of the pointers that we had can lock them down close enough to get a chance. But and that's the one that I made a that, mistake because my pup went on point and I communicated that with Chad, but not with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we got the bird, but not on camera. We got the retrieve, bird yeah. to hand, which was good. But, yeah, so one of those situations where you just make it, you know, you can't always get the bird flush and kill on film, but that's not always what matters to right. so. Uh Day three, we're in southwest Nebraska, and it was a, arguably our best hunt, although Friday is going to rival that as we recap it, but it, uh, open fields and waters, <clears throat> excuse me, open fields and waters land. Um, we walked through a cornfield, muddy, muddy road to get to kind of a pheasant Valhalla of public land, and the birds played nice that day. They sure did. That was uh, that was cool seeing Leo, Chad's, Chad Setter do the trick on that field. That was kind of where it clicked as a quote-unquote quail dog, it clicked for him in the pheasant world because seeing him locked down on those was, was really cool. And to make 
for awesome footage as well. Yeah. And, and you know, all, all the pointers in that field had a great field. Esky, Leo, yeah. um everyone, Reese. Yeah, Reese. Yeah. Everyone all of them did a great uh, job. Liberty. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh day four, we were on the struggle bus a little bit and we went uh chasing quail and Bob White's redeemed us that day. Oh yeah. So that was cool because I those that like the quail typically I've never seen quail like bust out in groups of two and three and I think the first one might have been like four or five but I didn't see the first one so that covey as I came around like two two came out Mm -hmm. and Bob Bob references that bird seemed to be flying in slow motion like (laughs) the uh, I saw it come out rise and it's in front of Chad I'm like Chad Chad quail quail <laughs> quail and I'm filming like over past me still not pulling his gun up. I'm like oh this would be cool footage he'll pull his gun up in the film shoot the bird uh-huh. and he just waited there and waited there and waited there and waited there and all of a sudden boom <laughs> the, the bird's down so that was I mean that was cool that was also that's that first different bird flush so yeah. that was cool then two more three more got up after that and um we ended up getting another one so Andy Hauser laid the smack down on the next <laughs> Shout out to our farm bill biologist, Andy Hauser, down in uh, uh, southwest Nebraska. Terrific guy. He's been on a few rooster road trips in the past. Uh, so that brings us to day five, uh, which we, we put on the shoulders of Marissa Jensen to pick the location for our final rooster road trip hunt. And... There were a couple of waterfall production areas in south-central Nebraska that she had her eyes on. One is her favorite piece of property um, that in the entire world that she kind of learned to bird hunt on. But she went off script and picked something different. And it was a waterfall production area that um, she circled on the map and said, let's go here. I don't think she'd ever been there. She hadn't. She None hadn't of us had ever been she, there. She'd heard it yeah. been. It, it was pretty good, but she, she hadn't been there. And we, um, I was in her vehicle at that time, and we drove around it, and she said, we should hunt this side. And it was a picked cornfield edge, and you could tell on that, I guess it would have been the south side of the area, um, it was really, really... Um, and there was a shelter belt of brush, probably, um, I think it was a plum thicket that went the duration of that, um, the roadside. And then really thick, big blue stem with sunflowers that you could see from the road looked pretty birdy. I mean, you had food and you had nice cover and there was some snow on the ground. It looked, it looked like the ticket and she said, that's where we're going. I'm so glad we ended up at that field. Right, um, be- because we're we're looking at the the atlas, you know, that morning before we were loading up, and we still hadn't decided exactly what to do. Um, you could tell she felt a little bit of pressure in terms of well, which here's what I know about each. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And um, not that we're pessimistic about like the day before we go into it, but when you're looking at the map, you have to think of your plan B, plan C, and and so on and so forth. So the only reason we chose that WPA was because we could start there. And if that was a bust, we could easily start working our way mm-hmm. southeast into other cover versus just starting at a different spot and then having no logic or, or rhyme or reason to quickly hit other projects if needed. 
It also fit a description that you asked for time and time again, and that was, let's find a little bit smaller spots. I just wanted smaller pieces that I, I knew we could be confident that we thoroughly worked and worked mm-hmm. the best we could and pieces that wouldn't have us spreading a thousand yards out and Thank piece, you. pieces that Jake yeah. wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have to like run back and forth. So we have at roosterroadtrip.org, we have a, a, a stat uh, tracker, you know, mm-hmm. powered by Garmin and um, two of the stats are, you know, daily miles walked by the hunters and then also mileage uh, accrued by, by the dogs. When are we going to add miles accrued by Jake? That's exactly where I was going with this because, you know, Jake is running back and forth behind, you know, all the hunters. So I would love to know, you know, how many miles he, he put on the, those uh, Irish Setter Havocs. <laughs> I, I put an e-collar on him. Once in a while he could use a vibrate. <laughs> and on occasion he could use a little jolt of electricity. He, he hears that tone and knows he needs to get back. <laughs> I don't hear any rewards. These all sound negative. When he's doing a drop. Kicks behind the hunter. Yeah, where where where's the where's the rewards? You guys gonna c- carry around some pepperonis? <laughs> but but the the second we entered that field, it it felt different. I don't know. I, I could feel the energy in it because there was a bit more snow compared to anywhere else we had hunted, mm-hmm. and the, the cover was nice and thick. And you know, it was a, the first kind of real overcast day of the trip, and it just kind of it felt like if I were a bird, that's where I would be. It was the thickest thermal cover around. As far as we drove her into that area, you know, with the um, with the brush and the heavy um, heavy grass, the big big tall blue stem. You know, if if birds were trying to hide out and survive a winter snowstorm, they were going to be there. And for to your point, a smaller area, but it it was small within small. And what I mean by that is, we had the roadside, and then there was a wetland a la waterfall production area so maybe 200 yards across and the beauty of that was we kind of were able to box the birds in because you know when the dogs could swing around and lock up on point they didn't all do this but because we had some wild flushes but we were able to contain some of the tighter holding ones and i mean at first yeah like i'm we walked into that field, and we were going to be going, I don't know if it was, I guess I don't, I don't even know what direction it was, but we saw all those birds, birds piling out of there. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm glad Andrew made that call. Let's let's turn this line right now and go in there I think we were walking way. north, and we saw the roadside and the wetland, and, like, okay, They're we got pinched to turn in between and head west to pinch them in between. Yeah, you I mean, you're – you're beating the drum of always follow the dog, and I'm looking over my left shoulder, seeing some birds pile out of there. I'm like, how about we we follow the birds? You know, that's, <laughs> like it's, it's it's the it's the it's the last day, last morning. You're feeling the anxiety, you know, of okay, we have to do this one more time. We, we we've gotten birds every single day. We we have to make this work. So it's like. Let, who are we kidding? Why are we walking north? We're swinging yeah. to like if that's where they are. We're swinging now. We're going straight for them. And as soon as we, as soon as we started walking over birds, I think two hens got up. I was kind of following Logan and Andrew right away, and two hens got up right next to me, behind me, and you know, then you just know these birds are holding tight. Mm-hmm. Some got out right away, but there's a pile of them in here, and they're getting up. You know, even in some of the videos, those birds are getting up next to us or behind us and they were locked down and a lot of the birds um in the video were pointed 
but the grass was so tall you couldn't actually see the dogs on point in that bird. But every dog had their moment in that particular field. Leo, Liberty, Reese, uh, Aspen, who wasn't pointing, but Aspen right. got bird number 100. You know, every dog had a terrific um, moment in the sun for that final day. Oh, that, that field was the hunt I've been waiting for with Baxter all, all season long. Um, you know, this was his first real season, as far as I'm concerned. And prior to the trip, I've just been struggling in Minnesota. Um, you know, early season that the corn was still up and then the temperatures just weren't right and birds were getting up super wild. And, you know, I'd, I'd come back into the office on Mondays, just kind of lamenting, like, I'm not putting him in the right situations mm -hmm. for success. And then, you know, I'm struggling with, I also want to hunt my lab because I trust her. And sometimes I do want to put a bird in the freezer. <laughs> so I, I just had like this kind of struggle going on all season. And then, you know, throughout this entire trip, Baxter's you know, shown great moments combined with Manny's still figuring this out. And you now that's really apparent when you're sharing the field with some dogs who get it. Um, so it, it, it's kind of like, I want him to be like that, but I know he's not there yet. Um, but I'm trying to put him in spots to succeed. And this was the field where, um, again, he was hunting a lot over Chad <laughs> instead of me. Um, but even Chad remarked, you know, every dog has that moment where, where the light turns on. And this field was that moment where it, when my, you know, Garmin Pro 550 vibrated and I saw like that little stop sign pop up mm -hmm. that indicates your dog's on point. I trusted that my dog was on point and he wasn't you now just mousing a hundred yards away. Um, so I think he had three points. Yeah. He had three it. really solid points in that field. And, you know, I, I was walking out of there just, just talking to Chad. I'm like, that's, that's all I wanted out of this trip. <laughs> I, I just, I just wanted to see him lock up and produce yeah. a, produce a wild bird. And, um, it, it was pretty special to, to end the trip at with, with that type of moment for me. So a couple of thoughts, um, Steel shot, steel, uh, federal premium prairie storm can put birds in the bag. No problem. Yeah. There's a, we, anytime we post, uh, about prairie storm steel, you get people come out of the woodwork saying X, Y, or Z prairie storm steel is the straight ticket and you got to use it on state waterfall production or federal waterfall production areas. And you should trust it. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you can go back and forth with your buddies about shot size. Now we were, we were shooting three shot and that's probably wouldn't have been my, my go-to. Um, but we still drop birds. I think I shot like 20 gauge fours. In no oh yeah. Problem. So you were 20 gauge. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm speaking for the, the 12 gauge, gauge guys, so. but you know, for us primarily hunting in Minnesota, I don't, I don't shoot anything but steel mm -hmm. because I just don't want to deal with, you know, what's in my, what's in my pocket right. and there's always water around. And then if I'm swapping shells in and out. I have to, I'll take them out, put them in my shooter's bag, being like, oh yeah, I'll go recategorize those or put them in a different bag later. Well, that never happens. And <laughs> so at the end of the season, you're left with like 20 shells just randomly all over and you're trying to read the side of them. Like, well, is this, is this steel? Is this four? Is this three? And I, I just get so tired of that, that I would much rather just shoot one speed, one shell, mm -hmm. one shot size and have confidence in knowing like where my pattern is and what I can hit. And I mean, I, I might look foolish out on the you know, sporting clays course next to Logan, but I don't know. I feel pretty good when it comes to dropping birds. Yeah, I I have zero concerns shooting steel with pheasants. I mean, I, it's predominantly what I shoot um, pheasant hunting across Minnesota and all sorts of states. And you know, it was it was 
the place, the only place I think in Nebraska and Kansas that we had to use steel, but for the most, for most of us, we were shooting steel anyways. That leads me to the next point. Uh, waterfall production areas exist because of duck stamps. So part of the point of hunting on that WPA was to make the um, comment that upland hunters buy duck stamps, please. If you, you know, if you believe in buy one for waterfall hunting, add a second one for upland hunting, buy one, just period, buy a duck stamp. Uh, It is amazing how many public areas exist across this country because of duck stamps people buying duck stamps one one at a crack and this habitat on this particular property was tremendous nesting cover for waterfall it had nesting cover for pheasants there's no doubt in my mind that quail live there deer turkeys songbirds it's protecting water quality and um, it was a hell of a place to pheasant hunt so please please buy your duck stamps um, what did I miss from uh, day five? What, what, any other high points that you guys stick out in your head? Well, the action was, was, was pretty it was, fast. It was, it was nonstop, um, you know, from the basically 50 yards in to making that turn towards the birds, pushed all the way down at the end of the field, made another turn. Uh, Esky was on a running rooster, which I was then like running after because I have no problem following your damn dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. You were ahead of me on that one. Yep. And so I I was just, I just took off after Esky and sure enough, you know, that bird got up and low with like a little bit out of range. So still took a, a, a shot at it, but lived to cackle another day. And then that entire push back to the truck is just, we weren't walking over the exact same spot we'd mm-hmm. already touched but we weren't far away mm-hmm. and that just showed how tight some of these birds were holding is that it almost felt like i was walking in the same spot but new birds were just yeah. just getting up and that was just so much fun like that that's you couldn't have scripted ending a road trip any better than that because it was kind of like you could feel the collective pressure coming off with the end of the trip and then ha- finally having that one field that really produced in a big way and it, I don't know, it just left you energized to, to keep going, even though it was the, the end of a grueling <laughs> road trip. I mean, there was more, I feel more flushes on that last field than I did over the course of the whole, mm-hmm. whole road, the whole road trip. I mean, I probably didn't include 10, 10 other hen flushes at, you know, mm-hmm. within five feet of people's feet. And that's, so and that's an important note. Um, everything you put in a video, happened that day mm-hmm. you did not save you know like oh we got a ton of good stuff on monday afternoon i'm gonna stash some of that for later in the week when it's tougher no everything, everything was, was that day yep for sure yep and as it happened like it wasn't nothing was switched around really it was all that was that's how it went down so sweet that's why he's up until 2 a.m every, every morning putting these together so remind folks where they can watch the videos um you can find all the videos on youtube um on our there's a playlist made for rooster road trip 2019 at pheasants forever's page roosterroadtrip.org um that's the landing page for rooster road trip you can find um everything there the galleries blogs videos and then um also on facebook so if you are subscribed following us on facebook um all those videos are posted there as well speaking at uh roosterroadtrip.org uh the membership offer uh 
time is running out on the membership offer. Yep, we people have until the 13th to uh, sign up through that special link that's on uh, roosterroadtrip.org, and that will automatically get you a, a Browning Featherweight Classic full tang uh, knife and sheath. It's uh, the fin and feather blade style. Uh, we're also going to throw in a, a Browning uh, Night Seeker uh, cap light. Uh, which I hear we're, we're running low on, which is a good sign. So I have no problem ordering more of those for people. Um, and probably the most exciting part is if you sign up through that link now through the 13th, um, you'll automatically be entered to win uh, a Browning Satori White Lightning 12-gauge shotgun. And um, It's a beauty. You know, when it comes to odds of, of winning a shotgun, it's you know going to be one to a, a few hundred, which – no, it's 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 a lot better than than a lot of other places yeah. you can end. And you get a membership on top of it. And so. you get five magazines throughout the week, and you get your your membership throughout decal. The year. Or, or yep, yep, throughout the year, and you get your membership decal, and you get invitations to local events, and uh, you know the the satisfaction of knowing that ninety percent out of every dollar we get goes straight back to our mission, and a lot of that has to do with uh, creating more public lands, and not only creating public access, but also. Um, putting quality habitat on the ground. You know, we're, we are the habitat organization. Um, hunting might be our motivation, but habitat's our mission. And uh, that's just kind of how we roll. And uh, we, we sincerely appreciate anybody who's willing to uh, stand up and support us uh, financially and in any other way, whether it's, it's volunteering or simply following along with the Rooster Road Trip. Um, your eyeballs and your, and your support matter. And speaking of uh, thanks for support and, and doing something that matters, I want a sh- final shout out to the Rooster Road Trip sponsors, the partners that rode shotgun with us the entire week. Uh, Browning, they uh, outfitted us with the entire new line of Pheasants Forever clothing. You can find that um, th- those clothing items in the Pheasants Forever store. Uh, the Browning store and then retailers across the country. I know that they're in Gander Outdoors stores, um, Joe's Sporting Goods in the Twin Cities, Reed Sporting Goods. Uh, I think Fleet Farm has a bunch of it. Um, but it, if you do not see the Browning Pheasants Forever line in your retail outlet, your favorite sporting goods store, the best thing you can do is ask the manager to carry it. That'll help us sell more items that generates a profit going to our habitat mission for every item sold. So Browning outfitted us with uh, the clothing and the shotguns and donated that shotgun that's part of the membership offer. So uh, we can't thank Browning enough for being um, a supporter for almost every single rooster road trip. The only road trip they weren't a part of was the first one where we didn't have any sponsors. So... (laughs) We were still so, figuring things out. We were figuring things out. So, so Browning, thank you very much. Uh, Apple Autos for supplying the Rooster Road Trip truck, which brought us all the way to Kansas and back home safely. Orca Coolers, the official cooler of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, brought all of our birds home safely on ice and ready for some delicious holiday meals. Uh, Garmin outfitted all of our bird dogs with uh, e-training collars and and uh, instinct watches and in-reach devices to make sure we didn't get lost when we were on Bob's big walkabouts in Kansas. <laughs> uh, sound gear uh, protecting our hearing with every shot we took. Uh, thanks to Lance and the entire Sound Gear family for being the official hearing 
protection provider of Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and the Rooster Road Trip. Roughland Kennels, the official kennel of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, tremendous partners of our organization. As I mentioned earlier, federal premium ammunition. Every darn shot ever taken on the Rooster Road Trip has been with federal ammo because it is the best. And every shell with a Pheasants Forever logo contributes uh, royalty to our habitat mission. Camp Chef, all the equipment that Laura McIver used on that tailgate to make us pheasant piccata. And uh, uh, it was, was, used, it was using Camp Chef equipment, and that recipe is on roosterroadtrip.org. Irish Setter Boots, keeping our feet in good shape for the long walks uh, in the official hunting boot of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And finally, our friends at the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission for sponsoring the Nebraska Leg. Um, make your own ro rooster road trip and go after that upland slam of pheasants, quail, sharp tails, and prairie chickens. Uh, Nebraska's hunting season is open till the end of January. All right, fellas, final thoughts, favorite moment of Rooster Road Trip 2019. And we will start with the video guy, Jake W. Schiller. That's not your middle name, but that's what I call you. <laughs> Always is. It has been since J.W. Schiller. J.W. Um, observations. Well, it's always a grind. That trip is, I mean... Hunt all day, edit all night. Um, now with the podcast edition, we're, we're uploading those. Um, I wasn't a part of any, but that's where I'm at. I'm in the hotel room editing and waiting for you guys to be done so we can get, uh, <laughs> get, 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 get the recap. Well, I shouldn't say waiting. I'm there anyway. But. And we're always waiting on Jake. Don't yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get up. I'm up. I'm moving around. If we have to wait an extra five minutes so I can eat a bowl of Frosted Flakes, mm. Oh, that's what happens so but um it's always it's always a good time i mean my first one was in montana second in south dakota this one will be memorable as um they always are but it was cool i loved uh chad marissa laura mm -hmm. all great additions um and we were glad to have them on the trip i thought it made for a just a, a really good party for all of us to have you know hunting with and camaraderie and everyone hit it off yeah. we all have lifelong partnerships and friendships now that you know any any anybody that's hunted uh, especially on a road trip the group of people can make or break a hunting trip and uh shout out to chad and laura and marissa we just had a spectacular group of people that um i will share a field with any day for sure and they were they were more than helpful along the whole thing, you know, always asking while Andrew and Logan you know, at lunchtime and yourself are writing blogs and posting blogs and pictures, anything they could do, whether it was, you know, finishing up their blogs they wrote or whether it was cleaning birds at the end of the night while we were setting something else up, they were a huge help. So that was, uh, that was cool. Favorite moment. 
I gotta say, watching Andrew struggle for that cold cold <laughs> shot. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how some people gravitate towards the, you know, like could have been Laura's rooster and the, her giant smile, but you know, Jake goes and pokes. Her. Oh, I like Andrew. I like watching Andrew on the struggle bus. Well, he's my boss. I get you know, it. <laughs> so that, if people want to want to see uh, my my fun little adventure through some of the thickest kosha anyone has ever walked through, uh, they can go check out day three's video and all i'll say is that stuff was thick <laughs> yeah that stuff was thick and that's one of those situations where that was filmed exactly like it happened in order it started off a little testy like uh we had to walk through all this then it was like all right it's getting annoying then it's ah and then enough, finally just broke enough was enough so that was that was a ride to watch that not to mention that was our first morning getting up after three and a half hours of sleep each so <laughs> it was uh we had we had some coffee running through our through our bodies and we were in between being tired and awake at the yeah. same time <laughs> lots of giggly conversations yeah for morning. sure <laughs> logan final thoughts yeah th- i mean i think we sat around the dinner table the last night we were there and, and kind of had a discussion about this but you know i'd look back on the emotion Laura showed when she she harvested her rooster, I think she said it was her, is like five years. First since one she's, in five years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, as I was handing that that bird off to her, just you know the sheer thrill on her face mm-hmm. and the emotion she showed that was that was super cool. Um, Marissa shooting her first out of state bird, um, and I, I got a kick out of watching some of the younger dogs kind of really take form. Um, mm-hmm. Leo Baxter. Mm-hmm. Um, who am I forget? Oh, Yeti was out there a little bit mm-hmm. too. Um, seven month Reese. old pup, Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, you, they all kind of had their moment along the trip where you really seen things click. Um, and that, uh, you know, as a, a hunter, bird dog enthusiast, that's that's awfully yeah. cool to watch. Marissa's Reese had a really nice um, day or morning on the, on Friday. He had a couple of lockdown points, and um, you're right. Every dog kind of had their moment. Yep. It was really fun. Yep. Andrew. Um, I guess in terms of takeaways, it'd be, you know, we are, we are so lucky, uh, to be able to, to go and do this and not only to be given the opportunity to, to highlight the, the public lands that are out there for everybody to, to go follow a bird dog through, um, but also to have, uh, such a supportive, uh, kind of online following, if you will, yeah. our members and our, our, the people following along on, on social media are, are so fantastic. Um, you know, we're getting messages all the time on Instagram and Facebook and uh, people are reaching out. I've, I've been following along since the very first one. It's like, holy cow, it's a decade <laughs> of your life. And, you know, even, even before we left, I, I got a call from Jody, our, our receptionist up front, and she was kind of inquiring, you know, are, are you guys doing the, the, the road trip this year? And I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's going to be a different one. We're, we're, we're going later, but yes, we, yes, we, we are going to do the road trip. She goes, okay, good. I just got a note from a, a group of guys that were stationed overseas, and they said mm. it's their, their favorite thing to watch, and they're just kind of worried that we weren't going to do it. And I was like, holy cow. Mm. I mean, we got people checking in from, from all over the, uh, the world at this point. And so it's, it's pretty cool to be uh, given this opportunity to kind of be an ambassador for not only our organization, but all the uplands that are available to all of us out there. Um, and when it comes to my favorite moment, uh, yeah, Baxter putting it all together at the end mm-hmm. is pretty cool. But um, after we, we had uh, the National Board of Directors, uh, Jared, on, I believe that was podcast. Jared Burke. Yeah. Jared Burke I think that was the Number three. Day Three's podcast. Um, you know, he 
we kind of touched on this at dinner. He, he likes to ask people, well, why do you pheasant hunt? Like, what, like, what is it about pheasant hunting that, that causes you to get out there and, and go for it? And, uh, you know, my answer to that is that that electricity that you feel in a, in a field when the dogs are getting birdie and everyone starts walking a little bit faster and nothing's being said, but you can just kind of feel the energy between everybody just kind of ramp up and, you know, and you're connected to the dog and the entire group's kind of on mm-hmm. a different wavelength. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the bird just erupts, right? Um, it's like capturing that lightning in a bottle moment that isn't guaranteed every hunt. Um, it's, it's, it's very special when, when you get it, uh, like that's kind of what, what I chase, um, and to have, you know, the afternoon of, of day three, again, kind of just be filled with moments like that. I mean, that entire field was electric. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be, that's probably going to be one of the highlights of, of 2019 for me, for sure. Friday was pretty darn close to the same electricity level too. It, it was, but it, there were so many flushes. It didn't have time for the voltage to ramp up. Right. <laughs> so like day, day three, it was just kind of like they were spaced out enough, but it, it kept yeah. the energy flowing versus our last day. It was just a, it was just so much fun. Yeah. Just birds <laughs> all over the place. Well, I would, um, you know, I, if, Folks have not taken an upland hunting destination trip. My recommendation is to get it on the calendar. Life is too short. Um, and I, I, for one, love winter, but I also like to escape winter. And right now, it's late October in Nebraska and Kansas. So if you want to experience early season pheasant hunting again, Maybe the birds don't aren't acting like early season, but at least you're walking around in 40-degree temps, beautiful habitat that you own, public access. Uh, you got all the way until late January for some of those states down south. Um, and if you're listening to us in Nebraska and Kansas, kudos to you. You got, you got some fun hunting ahead of you, but... Uh, if, if you have not taken a destination trip, you will learn a ton. You will learn how to read different habitat. You'll experience different birds, whether it's quail, prairie chickens, sharp tails, and huns as you head west. Um, plan a vacation around it. You'll learn a ton. Your dogs will learn a ton. You'll bring home some Instagram-worthy photos and some memories that you'll cherish forever. Um, final thought is... We, we mentioned this in, in um, the podcast for day four, that we had uh, late breaking news that the Conservation Reserve Program was opening up. It is now open for enrollment. Private land and much of it, uh, our walk-in programs are built on top of CRP. So if you know landowners, if you own land yourself, if you're a farmer, if you're a rancher, we encourage you to check out the Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Farm Bill Biologist map underneath the Habitat tab, or get into your local USDA service center. Eight million acres of habitat is available to get enrolled in the CRP sign-up happening right now through the end of February. Find more information, pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. It's the first press release in the newsroom right now. Uh, Eight million acres of opportunity. Folks, thank you so much for following our organization on social media and following along 
for Rooster Road Trip 2019 edition. If you got ideas for us for 2020, well, leave a comment on our Facebook page because now the process begins. What will be the 11th Rooster Road Trip theme? Because it is going to happen. We just don't know when, we don't know where, and we don't know with who. But we got plenty of time to figure it out. Sounds like a road trip. All right, folks. Always, always follow the dog. Thanks for listening on the Wing Podcast. Talk to you later.